Hi, you guys. Welcome back to Still Figuring Out. I'm your host, Kirsty, and thank God for the freaking weekend. I don't know about you guys, but it has felt like the Mondayest of all Mondays this whole week. Like I literally thought that yesterday, so I'm recording this on Saturday. I thought yesterday, which was a Friday, I thought it was Saturday. And I woke up and I was like, why did I set my alarm? And I'm like, fuck, I have work today, which is just, it's the worst thing in the world. Like, yeah, I have the weekend off, but I literally thought my weekend started yesterday and I was so upset. But all in all, we are here. Like I said, it is a lovely Saturday. It is 1025 in the morning when I am recording this. And I am recording this actually at my desk, which is a bit of a change. So I also apologize for any of the noise that you hear, which might be between dogs barking, hammers hammering walls, cars flying by, music blasting from said cars. I can't control that. That's city life. I'm sorry. Um, Free ASMR is all I can say. I actually turned off my heat so I wouldn't get any other indoor noise. So you're welcome on that because it is a tad bit chilly here. It has been really cold where I am. I don't know about you guys. Like if you live in the South, you can't relate. So I'm sorry, but it has been freezing in New England or just like in the Northeast in general. Like these past two days, there was one day this week where it was so windy out. Oh my God. I like checked my phone because I always check the weather before I go to work to see what I'm going to wear. And because of the wind, it felt like it was negative zero degrees. I kid you not. And I knew as soon as I even opened the door to my apartment to like leave, I could feel the cold. And I was like, shit, fuck, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go out. But I braved the weather with a little, with a few tears from the wind, not myself purposely. Um, but yeah, that's been the week. So you're probably wondering why I am sitting at my desk for once on a Saturday in the morning where there is no noise whatsoever, I have the house completely to myself. I have it to myself at least for the whole weekend. Um, I've had it to myself since yesterday. Um, my mom's birthday was this past Thursday and we celebrated. We went out to eat at a restaurant, which was nice. It was like me, my mom, obviously, my stepdad, my brother, and my grandmother. We went out to eat at this really good restaurant um, in our city. And their food was really good. I got the mac and cheese. Amazing. I ate it all. We had cake. My mom had opened her presents and it was really fun. It was nice. But um, my mom and stepdad are away. I'm not going to disclose where they are because it's not really anyone's business where they are and just all that stuff. But they are away. They are safely away. I have shoved it down my mom's throat to be safe. Um, but she's responsible like that. So that's all I'm going to say on that. They're away. They're enjoying themselves. And I'm happy for them. They don't really get time away that much. Um, and my stepsister is out snowboarding with like friends and stuff for the weekend up in New Hampshire. So I have the place to myself. And I'm so excited because this is honestly probably the last and only time I'll have the house to myself again until we move, which will be crazy enough in six months. Like I can't believe that I've been in this apartment for close, at least six months. Yeah. Cause we moved in end of August, started in September. So we've been here for over six months, which is crazy to me. Time just flies, honestly. Um, but yeah, so I have it to myself. It's been really great. I have so many things I want to do or just things that I get to do now, which is fun. Um, last night I came home from work and I did my workout. I cooked dinner, which I don't usually cook dinner. My stepdad always cooks dinner, especially because when I get home from work, like my mom's already home. So he just always starts it anyway. And they wait for me until I get home to eat. So, and like he cooks like for the whole family, whereas I just cook for myself. So it was nice because I haven't cooked dinners for myself since I live with like my grandmother, which has been well over a year since then. Um, actually it's been almost a year, crazy enough. Cause I moved out of my grandma's when I was moving. So it hasn't been a year, but regardless, I haven't cooked for myself in a while since last year, we'll say, cause I haven't cooked for myself in 2021 yet. So this was the first time and it was, it was really great. I had steak, I had spaghetti with broccoli and, uh, Alfredo. 
which is my favorite. My favorite pasta is fettuccine. So, and another name that I can't spell, but it begins with a C. So, in case you wanted to know, because I, apparently that's a hot topic for certain people to like know or whatever, but I love pasta. I could have it at least like once or twice a week. Um, so I did that and then I drew myself a bath. I put a candle on. I had a podcast playing. I just like chilled in the tub because it's like so great to like soak in warm water, like especially after a workout. Um, so I did that. I showered off and then I got into bed nice and clean. I put my little heater on and I read and by read, I went on my phone, but then I read for a little bit. I actually read a pretty decent amount. I'm trying to finish my book by the beginning of next week. So fingers crossed because I still have a little bit ways to go. Three chapters left, but they're long. So let's hope because my reading, my reading, you guys has been so slag lately. I don't know why I have, like I still have this um, goal to do 30 books by the end of this year. And there we are with the dogs again. I'm sorry. If you can hear that, I'm sorry. I can't control dogs. and I don't want to go out in the cold to tell them to shut up. And then people look at me weird because we want to know why I'm telling them to shut up. Um, that's life. Um, but yeah, I've just been slacking with my reading lately. And I was on such a roll. Like I'm reading, this is my fifth book, fifth book I'm reading this year, which I know is good because some people are like, I haven't even picked up a book since like last year, I can't even remember the last time I picked up a book, but that's what I'm hoping. I want to do that and get back into it because I've told myself I cannot buy any more books until I finish the said number amount of books that I have not yet read, but have bought saying I'm going to read. So holding myself accountable, but yeah. And I mean, my plans this weekend aren't really like that crazy, crazy. I'm not that person who's like going to throw a house party. And my mom was literally like, if you want to have people over, have like a party or like a small get together with people, which a party is a small get together with like maybe four people or five, including myself. Um, and so I was like, no, I don't really want to do that because the thing is with me is I love having alone time. I love it so much. Like I crave alone time, which is why I'm kind of excited when I eventually move out and I get to have like this whole place is mine. Like I get to say like, oh, like that's mine. That's mine. I'm all by myself. So it's been a nice little like adjustment to kind of just like get a feel for it, dip my toe in the water. So but yeah, tonight I am seeing my boyfriend. That's so weird for me to say still in like the best way, but like He's coming down. We're going to this um, brewery, I think it is. It's um, close to where I am, near where I work. But my best friend actually told me about it. And I was like, oh, we should like go to it because that sounds really fun. And then we're going to come back. And I don't know what we're going to do. I might get him to watch a crime documentary with me because he knows that I love crime stuff. So that would be fun. Not fun after when he leaves and then I have to... Um, go to sleep by myself but regardless um and then tomorrow I am doing adult things I do that Sundays Sundays are my favorite day of the week because I love just like getting my shit together for the start of the week and just everything being good so I plan on waking up early and by early I mean like 8 30 that's the time that I usually wake up like when I don't have work when I have work I wake up at like 7 30 um, so weekends I allow myself to sleep an extra hour because I don't like going any longer than that just because it makes me off for the rest of the day, I guess. So I want to wake up, have a big breakfast and by big breakfast, I mean, whatever's left in my fridge. Um, I'm going to do laundry. I'm going to do food shopping. I'm going to try to get some food for like when my mom and stepdad and stepsister come back, just like necessity stuff like milk, eggs, bread, like all that and whatnot. Then I'm going to do a very big cleaning and not just my room. I'm going to clean the whole house because my mom said the one thing that she want, she would love to come back home to is a nice, clean apartment. And not to say that we're like dirty or anything, but just like, you know, like dust some of the surfaces, mop a little. Like I know there's some places that need a little extra TLC. And I've noticed it's like the refrigerator and just like the kitchen is like the biggest thing. Kitchen and bathroom are like the biggest like things to do but I'll, I'll be excited I can get through a lot of podcasts that day um but yeah and then I'll probably just like work out shower the whole thing 
and get ready for the rest of the week. So those are my plans. Um, yeah, it's just been a pretty chill week and this dog will not shut the fuck up, which is really, really annoying. I think I might actually move eventually because this is really fucking annoying. And I say that as you stop, but he's probably going to start again because there we go. I'm sorry, but um, maybe you can't hear that. I mean, that's just me, but my God, just like bring your dog inside. It's fucking cold out. I, this is like, I'm going to go off on a rant real quick, but like people that have dogs and just leave them outside all days of the night fucking annoys me. It's like, you have this dog. It is cold out. That is animal abuse. I'm sorry. It is. It's just so stupid. If your dog is barking like that and people are getting pissed off, maybe bring the dog in the house. So only you can hear what they're hearing. So you can get a taste your own fucking medicine. I digress. So I have a beer summit update. I am 10 beers away from finishing it, which I'm so excited about. So my best friend's birthday, who I go with, I go with him and my other best friend. His birthday is actually on the last day of the month this month. And that is on the Wednesday that we always go. So we get to actually finish it on the last day, which is his birthday. And which is good because there's one drink that's like 15%. And so we're saving that one and like another one for the end. So we have literally four more weeks of it, which is crazy. But yeah, I have 10 left. I get to finish it for a second year in a row. I'm proud of myself. Um... And speaking of my friend, because of like his birthday and stuff, um, we're throwing him like a little party at the beginning of April, like that first weekend, um, because his mom is going away. So I have acquired some gifts already for him because him and his fiance went really all out for me and I appreciate it so much. So I was like, I have to reciprocate it. So, so far I've gotten him like those giant big ass candles from TJ Maxx, not plugging my own workplace would never do that but they have really good candles and they're cheap i got a ten dollar candle and it's like fucking huge i was trying to find him one that i like and i'm sadly running out of it i think this is the last day that it's going to be going um it's like my favorite scent i've gotten i've been trying to go back to the same store like the same location that i got it and i'm probably going to go there again today like when i'm done with this because i want to look around i just want to have like a me day before my boyfriend comes over like all good. Like I have the whole afternoon to myself. Why am I going to waste it in my room, on my bed, on my phone? Like I can go out and like the plaza where I live is like five minutes away. And then I might go thrift shopping. But besides that, um, (laughs) there's a candle that I love that I discovered like a couple months ago. And I love the scent of it. And I wanted to try to get it from my friend because he got me a big candle and a scent that I had before that we both have. And so I'm going to use that one after that one's done. But so I just got him one so far, like as a safety one, if I can't find that one, because I'm going to keep going until his birthday party or his birthday, whenever he wants like the present. So I have at least like three or four weeks to look. And I just usually go on the weekends because I've been asking my friends who like work in like the home department at my work, if they can scour out and find candles, like people that work in the back that like unbox like candles and just like anything to put out if they have that candle so that I have people helping me. But I found out that source. I'm hoping maybe I'll find it today. Updates to come next week, <laughs> if I remember. And so I got him a candle. And then I don't know if I'm sh- going to show my age right now, but there is a show on Nickelodeon called The Amanda Show. And my friends and I have had like this running joke. And like my best friend's name is Amanda. So we always say like, Amanda, please. Again, if you don't know the show, either look it up or call me old, whatever. I had a great childhood with these shows. But um, there's this one skit that she does on the show where she dressed up as this girl named like Penelope Taint. And um, <laughs> she says that she's like Amanda's number one fan. She like stalks Amanda and stuff. And she's like, my name's Penelope Taint and I'm Amanda's number one fan, please. And like she always says, please, at the end of everything. She's like, I must meet Amanda, please. And um, so I went on this website and I ordered a shirt for him and it says that quote with like her face like really funny and it says what I had just said on it so I got him that and then like also you guys if you're looking for gifts and stuff go on like Etsy and support small businesses because not only do they have really good stuff for a great price but it's just so nice to get 
custom made stuff for somebody like yeah you can go to a store and get the same shit but honestly especially at, at a time like this right now when like small businesses are doing a really hard time trying to get businesses and trying to stay afloat like it's so super important and so I went to this website that my friend had actually gotten stuff from for our Valentine's Day thing, which I have on my keys is a keychain. And she like does like certain like you can pick any kind of artist, album, song, and you can customize it. So for my friend, I did the song Blank Space by Taylor Swift. And so I did like the 1989 album. I did the song artist. And then on the back of it, I wrote the date that we met her, which was oh my god it's almost six years like it's gonna be six years this year it was july 24th 2015 and like you know if you know if you know you know taylor swift has like different places where she would like have people meet like the red room or like loft 89 which is the one that we met her at um or like the tea party or like all those nostalgic like good ones there so we met her in loft 89 so i had the date where we met her and that place that we met her at on the back of the keychain so i'm going to give him that to put like on his keys and stuff to remember that by and i'm probably going to get him like a few more things but that's what i have so far the shirt just came yesterday which was really good shipping i ordered it last week so very good with that and the other one is shipping as we speak so i'm hoping it'll come either today or monday i mean i have three weeks to give it to him i just wanted to do it early so i had and i wasn't like panicking about it so yeah, I'm excited to um, give him those presents. I'm sure he'll love it. Um, I just I've learned that I love giving people's gifts and receiving them. Like I'm so grateful when people give me stuff because I don't expect it. But I just I love like hand making cards and writing little notes in it and just like wrapping gifts and all. That. It's just fun. I love it. It makes me happy. Um, so that's all I have to say for today. For introductions. So now we can get into this last minute inspired monthly segment. You heard it right. It is a full month of this segment and I will explain to you why. Um, so basically I always um, plan out my podcast at the beginning of the month, either the last day of the last previous month or the first day of the next month that I'm doing episodes in. And for some reason, I just couldn't think of good episodes to do this month. Not to say that I didn't have any ideas. I still have a plethora of ideas. So don't you worry. I still have the, you know, I had the two ideas of like, obviously the monthly segments I do, which is read thing in my work at the beginning of the month. And then at the end of the month, I do a book review, which I'm still going to continue to do next month. But some reason for this month, I just couldn't think of anything to fill in the holes between it, which is totally fine. We get slumps. People take breaks when it comes to podcasts. They don't do it every week. And that's totally fine. When you have something where you have to keep thinking of ideas and be creative, it's very hard to keep that creative flow going. Believe me, I have had severe writer's block, which I need to get back into. Maybe this week will be the time this weekend. But so yeah, I just honestly couldn't think of episodes or ones that I would be proud of to upload. So I decided why not read my work for the whole month. And you're probably wondering, okay, that's a lot of work to do in just one month when you read short stories. But I don't just have a short story. I have a novella. Um, I wrote this for my thesis for my grad school. This was like my final project. And I have not looked at it since July when I read it for my presentation over Zoom for the last thing I did for grad school. Um, and I'm about to just read it. Um, I'm going to preface it is 128 pages. I have looked back at it. So I'll be reading roughly around like 31 to 30 pages weekly. I know that's a lot. Um, therefore, these episodes might be longer. So this could be a total fail or this could be something totally cool that I might have to write another novella or a potential book for. So at the end of at the end of the day, I want to put out stuff and talk about stuff that I'm proud of. And I am proud of the fact that I wrote this. I'm proud of the fact that I worked through this when I was battling my Lyme disease, when I was in recovery, 
um, for those two weeks. That was when I was finishing this at my mom's old place um, for a week. I was stuck indoors because I couldn't go outside um, in direct sunlight because of my medication. I was just in a rough area. And the fact that I finished it during such a rough time like that, I'm very proud of it. It's not perfect in any way. I've not revised it. I've not had other people look at it besides the people I gave it to for my final portfolio. Um, so it's not perfect in any way, shape or form, but it's the fact that I finished it and I wrote it and I had the ideas myself and I'm very happy about it. So yeah, um, I didn't really have a big reason for wanting to do this now. I guess I just have had a hard time trying to write stuff longer than articles and stuff for the other things I do. And kind of wanted to go back to the reason of why I love writing because when I was doing my first workshop with my friends from my grad school and I submitted a something I had written that was going to be my thesis but didn't end up working out, all they kept saying was just how good – and this is not to be vain in any way. This is just what they were saying. We're all very motivated and we're all very kind and uplifting to people, to everyone because they're all such phenomenal writers and I hope to be even an ounce of what they have. And um, they kept saying, you know, like, your writing is so good. I can't write like that. Like, this is so good. And I got like comments back from people from when they were writing on it. And I just, it made me feel really good about myself because I haven't written something that I found to be particularly great in a long time. Not to say that I can't do it now, but it's given me the motivation to maybe look back at my stuff and think, you know, it's not as bad as I thought it was before or anything like that. So, but yeah. Um, I guess we can talk about the um, story a little bit. I'm not going to give spoilers away or anything crazy like that. Um, I think I actually have – oh, my God. I'm about to, like, expose myself right now. But I still have the old notebook where I would write down because I would write every single day. And I have my notebook where I wrote down um, every time I would um, – like my word count for the day, like what I got to then and all that. So I'm trying to think if I, okay. So this is like a little snippet that I would use for like, if I were to pitch this, it says a couple robbing priceless heirlooms set in the nineties. Little does Maude know her partner in life and crime. James has some secrets of his own. A journey to bring him back leads her down a path. She wasn't expecting and may cost her more than she bargained. So the main character's name is Maude and it's basically what you said right there. There's these two people, Maude and James, they're in a relationship and they kind of met in odd terms. She was by herself in a bar and he came running in saying to pretend to be his girlfriend because he was being harassed or he was being chased down by these people because they thought that he stole something, which he did. And they didn't know each other, obviously, and they didn't know their past and that their paths would cross in unspeakable terms. But the story basically starts out with them in a jewelry store trying to persuade a woman, the jeweler, or one of the employees to look at a ring while she distracts herself and they steal it. And, you know, they're gearing up to rob, you know, the biggest party of the year, which is on New Year's Eve. And they're going to steal all this stuff. But she has noticed that he has had kind of suspicious outings and situations that he doesn't tell her things. And so she keeps uncovering these certain clues about his life that she didn't know about him in the beginning. And so she realizes that in the end, he's working on his own for other things, but she doesn't know why. So the whole idea is to kind of figure out who this person is while trying to find him because he goes missing. And it's so funny. Um, and then um, throughout the story, James unintentionally gives Mauve clues and hints to where he is and her eventually being able to find him. And it's done through what I love to do and what I miss doing a lot is do flashbacks, um, like times in their past where she didn't see things as suspicious before. So how I set it up is like one chapter will be her finding something and it'll 
make her go back and think to a certain time where you get to see that played out and see why it makes sense and why it's there and why it's important. Um, and so, oh my God, I'm just looking through this notebook now because I started this in May of last year and just like things I want to include in the story because this story was actually like how the story even came to be. I get inspired by writing when it comes to music and the story is called Getaway Cars. And if you're Swifty, you know that Taylor Swift has a song called Getaway Car on Reputation, her sixth album. Um, and I was so inspired by that story because one, it deserved a music video. So I was like, you know what? Let's make my own music video in my head and down on paper. So that's how I envision Getaway Car to be. Um, so this story was actually supposed to just be a short story. And I wrote it as the first chapter, like ending on the on like the first like eight chapters, which I'm going to read. There are only 25 chapters in this novella. So don't think it's like crazy, like, oh, eight chapters. That's a lot. It's only like to the 30th or 31st page, which I will be getting into. I swear it's going to be a long episode. But um, I only had it as a short story and I submitted it to my workshop and my mentor at the time was like, you know, I think you have something here. Can you write more chapters for me? And so I did. And I ended up stopping after the third chapter because I just didn't know where to go with it. And I abandoned it. And then when I was doing my thesis again and my first idea wasn't working out, I had told my mentor who was doing my thesis with me about the story and idea I had and where I think it could go. And she said, yes, continue with it. So that's how it ended up being a novella from a 20 something page thing to a full novella is kind of crazy. And I'm internally grateful for the opportunity of it. And it's just, it's so funny. Like I did so much thought into this. I even wrote like the flashbacks, certain dates to coincide with things and the relationship. And then I started on May 22nd of last year of keeping track of my word count pages of where I started and where I ended at. And I combined it all to to how many words I did that day. And like what page I was on, which is really crazy. And I stopped after June because I had to submit it the second week of June. But, you know, let's let's get into it now. Uh, I'm excited. I worked really hard on this and it was unforeseen circumstances being in a pandemic and having Lyme disease and just all the ups and downs of my mental health. But I came out of it with a 128 page novella and I... Don't know how many more times I can say it, but I'm fucking proud of this. And I never thought anyone would hear this. Um, and I feel like I'm kind of exposing myself, but you no, know, we're going to do it. We're going to read this. And this is going to be the story that I read this whole month. So if you like this, you can continue on with me in this journey. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry, but you can tune in in April if you still want to stick around. So without further ado, this is getaway car. She stares at me. With every slight move I make, a pair of eyes watches me intently, waiting to see what I do next, my plan of action. I can't help but laugh at them, these young, naive salespeople, thinking they can fool me by tracing my every move. Little do they know, I'm already one step ahead of them. I move my way over to the corner of the jewelry counter, away from the sales girl. My eyes lock on a pair of inexpensive diamond earrings. Nothing suspicious to see here. Placing one hand on the glass counter, she starts climbing towards me. Just before she's ready to pounce, James, my partner in crime and life, nonchalantly walks over to the front of the counter. Well, if these aren't some of the most exquisite pieces of jewelry I've seen in a long time, he says. He comes off almost too boastful, but he plays the character well. As usual, wherever we go, the sales girl goes straight over to him like bead of pollen. There's just something about him. It's all in his face. God did a good job creating him with a sharp jawline and brooding bedroom eyes any girl can drop to her knees for. You certainly came to the right spot, she says, while placing her hands on the counter, making sure he sees that she isn't wearing a ring on that finger. The ones here are the finest pieces we have. James looks up at her, acknowledging her presence. What's a guy like me going to look gonna do to look at one of those buttes he asked his signature crooked smile never faltering he stares at her with his icy blue eyes waiting for her next move she removes a small silver key from her coat pocket and waves it in his face just tell me when she says 
Her desperation is hard to miss, making our jobs easier. The more desperate someone is to hold on to your every word, the easier it is for you to manipulate them into doing what you say. Sometimes the people we encounter do it so well, it never feels like we have to lift a finger. James keeps his eyes locked onto her, adjusting his coat sleeves to make sure they're even and not exposing his wrists to the bitter cold. You would think a high-end jewelry store would be heated, but that's a city for you. Providence is notorious for never maintaining the basic necessities. Just look at the broken windows and flickering streetlights. He leans one elbow on the table while resting his head in his hand. Let me see that one there. He motions to an emerald green ring with yellow diamonds surrounding the outside. The girl opens the compartment and slowly takes it out. Good choice. This is our most popular one, she tells him, modeling the ring on her own finger, her perfectly manicured nails glistening in the harsh overhead lighting. James lowers his head to get a better look at it. What can I say? I've got good taste, he says, winking at her. She's about three seconds away from melting into a puddle on the floor. Maybe she's used to getting attention from men, just never the right ones. Any man with a pulse can send her heart racing. I know the feeling with James. Just one look and I'm weak. She laughs as she takes off the ring. You sure do, she says, placing the ring in the palm of her hand. Do you think I could take that ring out of your hands to look at, he asks, putting his hands to his chest. Don't worry, you can trust me. She hesitates for a second. Who am I to say no to? She puts the ring into his hand, making sure to slowly take her hand away so that it grazes his skin. James looks at it intently. This sure is something else, he says, while wiping his forehead with one of his hands. That's my cue. I slowly loosen my scarlet red scarf as I approach James. He holds onto the ring tightly while still giving his full attention to the girl. As I make my way around the corner, there is a full display of festive-looking necklaces standing on the edge of the counter. Their bright greens and crimson red make a statement with their jewels poking out in velvet bows. I brush up against them, managing to latch it onto my scarf. I fall haphazardly to the floor, arms flailing. My eyes make their way to the back of my head, getting a good look at the dingy ceiling before closing. The rest of the necklaces come crashing down too. James and the sailless girl immediately look at me, a mixture of annoyance and shock forming throughout her face, and James grinning wide, his smile almost straight. As she pushes the side door over and comes rushing over to me, James pockets the ring in his jacket. She kneels down to be eye level with me, making sure I'm not hurt enough to sue them. Are you all right? She asks loudly, like I lost my hearing instead of balance. I pretend my ankle hurts and I'm not able to get up. I think so. It's just my ankle is throbbing a bit, I say. The expression on her face changes from concerning to annoyance every second. Well, I can go get my manager to help if you want, she says. I brush the thought away with my hand. I should be fine, though. Just a bruise. She starts to reach her hand out towards me when James comes rushing over to my side. Oh my gosh, mauve honey, he exclaims, exclaims looking down at me. His wing confirms that the heist is complete. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to scare you, I tell him, putting my hand to my lips. You know how much of a klutz I can be sometimes. He rolls his eyes at me and gives away the slightest grin. He sighs as he reaches out for me. You'll have to excuse my wife, he says, attempting to pick me up off the floor. She's a bit clumsy. The sales girl immediately changes her expression from annoyance to shock. Oh, your wife, she says, slowly trying to digest this new bit of information. James helps me up and regains my balance and regain my balance. He readjusts my scarf so it isn't hanging off one side. Yes, I love her, but sometimes I feel like I married a woman born with two left feet. He chuckles at his own joke. I roll my eyes. The sales girl stifles a laugh as she stands in place looking back and forth between us. I fix my strawberry blonde hair that has come undone from my bun. As she starts picking up the necklaces off the floor, I do the same thing. Here, let me help you. It was my fault anyway, I offer. Don't worry about it, it's fine, she says while placing the jewelry on the counter. In a haphazardly sad pile that looks just if not the same than the display itself. She stops for a brief moment to glance over, to glance me over. Are you sure you're all right? I wipe at the bottom of my coat and smooth down my hair. Perfectly fine. So sorry again, I say, motioning towards James. Well, we'll be on our way now. We we're almost halfway to the entrance when she yells from behind us. Lucky for us, it's starting to get a little crowded in there. Hey, you still got the ring. Come back here. Everyone in the store turns to look at us. I intertwine my hand with James and leans my head towards him. Run, 
I whisper. We bolt for the door, maneuvering our way left and right through people who didn't want us to leave, knocking over perfume displays and running into signs. Right before we make it out of the store, I hear the girl one last time. I'm calling the cops, she exclaims. We're out of the door before she can even dial nine. The snow is starting to fall, adding to the rust piling up around the streets. The only bad part about living in the city is the lack of street cleaning when it snows, making a speedy chase away harder than normal. We made sure to park it down a back alleyway with no one to disturb it except the annoying passerby kids on the winter break and the harmless homeless person digging through the trash. James's convertible is old and beat up with chips paint and a half-broken side mirror. He says it adds character. Plus, it's a hand-me-down from his father, who died before James could drive. Now it's becoming our getaway car. We make it back to the car and start driving down the street. Before we can check this heist off as a win, the sounds of the siren flood our ears. They're on us. A pair of cars, both speeding up, thinking they're going to get us. But we have but we have had the city mapped out in our heads so long, we can recite every escape route in our sleep. As we make our way down the end of the street, I see the lights shining from the rearview mirror. I look towards James. Go, 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 I scream. James bolts down the road, speeding through the stop signs, dodging the snow banks along the way. These cops are staying on us longer than anyone has before. Whichever turn we make, they're right behind us. My hands grip the bottom of the seat. I look over at James driving. His brow is furrowed. I don't dare look at the speedometer. Getting pulled over speeding is the least of our problems if we get caught. As we make it down one of the busier streets with shops throughout and cars along the side, James is starting to slow the car down, losing his momentum. I glance over at him. We need to lose them, I say. He runs his hand through his jet black hair. I know, Mauve, I'm not stupid, he says, gripping his hand to the wheel and pressing harder on the gas. The words come out so sharp I flinch, but then he places a hand on my upper thigh. Trust me, he says, gripping me. And I do. I can't help it. I love the sound of our names together. James and Mauve, our names wrapped together like a pretty bow you see on your present Christmas morning. He's my partner, my heir, my lover, my life. If we hadn't stumbled into each other's lives as we did almost two years ago, I don't know if I'd feel immense relief or despair. I still remember the way he first looked at me, the urgency in his eyes. Chapter 2, July 13th, 1994. It's only early afternoon and it's already scorching. The air conditioner barely blows out cool air at the bar. I've been sitting here for the past 10 minutes without anyone coming to take my drink order. My floral sleeveless dress isn't long enough to keep my thighs from sticking to the bar stool. At this rate, I could just go for water if it means not dying of heat stroke. I unzip my purse to look through until I find my small notepad and pen. Just as I'm about to write out the address to the next place I need to go to, I can feel someone's eyes staring directly at me. What can I get you? The bartender asks. He's got on a black v-neck and his hair is gelled up, or is that sweat? Old-fashioned, I say. No needs for small talk. He is distracting me from my plotting. I continue to jot down notes in my pen as he goes and makes my drink but not before stopping to flirt with every female in this dive bar. For a midday in July, you can see all kinds of people flocking here, from the groups of guys playing pool to impress any girl that walks by them while chugging warm beers, to the girls that come here because they want the same attention given back to them by any guy willing to look their way. I remember that feeling. Desperation. Yet we still come back to these trashy bars to wait hours for a pool player guy to ask to go halves on getting drinks because he can't afford them on his own. The bartender slides my drink over slowly, hoping to catch my attention. I have a, give a quick smile, anything to get him to leave me alone. He doesn't get the hint. Hope you enjoy your drink, hon, he says. I put my pen down and sift through my purse until I find a crisp $10 bill. Keep the change, I say, sliding it towards him. He picks it up and licks his lip in a way that's supposed to be seductive, but just comes off plain creepy. It takes everything I have not to throw my drink at him. Everyone around me is busy doing their own thing, sipping their drinks, talking about the long week they've already had, even though it's only Wednesday. Days seem to drag no matter what season you're in. I continue to write in my notepad in between sipping on my drink. The coolness is refreshing in my mouth. Just as I'm about to write one last reminder down, I feel someone practically pressed up against me. I need you to pretend to be my wife, he whispers in my ear. My initial reaction is to slap him but that can cause too much attention that I didn't want to give. So I look over at the stranger and give him the dirtiest look. Excuse me? I ask. 
He gets closer when the doors open and two guys with crew cuts walk over. Please just go with it. I'll make it up to you, he pleads. There is an urgency in his eyes. They never blink. Okay, fine, I say. I blame the heat for messing with my head. There is no time to think since the two guys are only a few feet away from him. I grab onto his hand and rub his knuckles with my thumb. Thank you, he whispers, just before they come right up behind him, almost casting a shadow over us. They press up against his back. Hey, don't you think you can just come into a store? Don't think you can just come into a store, take what you want, and leave without paying, man, the taller guy says to him. There's a faint scar that runs down the left side of his cheek. He waits a few seconds before he turns around to face them, still holding on to my hand. I'm so sorry, I really am, he says, then leads towards me. My wife called me in a panic, and I had to come here right away to help. I do my best to pretend I am worried and upset, even going so far as tearing up, though I could pass a sweat instead. It's true. I had just got a call saying my father was rushed to the hospital, and I just needed in here right away, I explained, leaning into him. I'm sorry if he caused any trouble. The man pretending to be my husband starts rifling through his pockets, causing some things to fall out. Look, I can give it back or give you the money for it. Let me just see what I have in here. He finds his wallet and starts taking out some bills. The two guys look back and forth at us, especially me. The other guy starts backing away from us. Just stay out of our place, he says, holding up his hand. They walk out of the bar and into the heat. I let go of his hand right away and take a big sip of my drink. He wipes his forehead with the back of his hand. That was close. Thanks again, he says, waiting for me to reply. Mauve, I say. He holds out his hand. James, he says. We shake hands. He looks at my empty glass. What are you having? Old-fashioned, I reply. He motions for the bartender to come over. Sir, we'll have two old-fashions, please, he tells him as he looks over at me. He smiles at me. A crooked smile. I don't know his past, but I didn't know mine yet either. So I take the drink and clink mine with his. Chapter 3 I think we lost them, James says. We are at one of our hideouts after going through the tricky yellow light everyone always speeds up to and leaving the cops' blocks behind us. The alleyway is at the end of downtown, right between a sub shop and outdated boutique. But with the weather today and the snow starting to fall down harder, there's barely anybody out. I take my hands from the bottom of my seat. Thank God, I say, exhaling a much-needed breath. We drive down the alleyway approaching Elm Street, which usually is busy, but not today. Besides, stores are getting ready to close soon anyway. It's an early day for everyone. It's New Year's Eve, where anyone the legal age drowns their sorrows or regrets with the best or worst liquor they can get their hands on, and this year is going to be our biggest heist yet. Picture this, the Biltmore, the the fanciest hotel in all of Providence. People from all the East Coast come here. The doors are gold with red velvet carpeting throughout. Reservations need to be made months in advance. The hotel is celebrating their 75th anniversary, and what better way than with a lavish party? With expensive champagne, people dressed in their finest attire, and the rarest jewel on display for all to see. See, every year for New Year's, every big shop place ranging from hotels to museum hosts a glamorous party for only the elite of the city. I'm talking about politicians, businessmen, art collectors, lawyers, actors, actresses. The list goes on. Everyone is dressed in blankets of fur wrapped around their shoulders and fabric so thin it's almost alarming they can get away with it. The women come dripping in diamonds their husbands give to them as an apology for sleeping with that woman again, yet they smile for the flashing lights with their newest present worth thousands. The security is tough, nothing we can't handle. The only problem is the event being invitation only. No invite means no getting in but we are prepared for any mishap, backfire, and surprise to come our way. By the time we're through tonight, we'll be out of there before the clock strikes midnight with the rare Oppenheimer blue diamond in our possession. We finally pull up to our apartment with the snow starting to calm down. The engine is still going as I unbuckle my seatbelts. The party didn't start for another few hours, giving us enough time to get ready and go through the plan one more time. But James shows no sign of getting out. I turn towards him. Coming out, I ask? He rubs his fingers along his temple. Sorry, sweetheart. I got some business to attend to. Last minute, he explains. This is the first I'm hearing of this. Then again, he always seemed to have something going on these past few months regarding business. I never question it. James has a past, a criminal past. Nothing bad enough to go to jail, but enough to have a reputation around the city. 
Even being with them puts me in danger of being a potential target. But it's a risk I'm stupid enough to take. All right, then, I say. I go to make my way out of the car when he grabs hold of my arm. But I'll be back in time to zip you up in that dress, he says, as the same crooked smile starts to form again. It's a deal. I get out of the car before both the snow and the chill down my spine are enough to knock me dead. As I make my way to our floor and unlock the door, a wave of uneasiness fills me. Everything is where it's supposed to be. Cabin slightly open, open. The coffee pot halfway full of cold coffee from this morning. Newspapers are strewn across the dining room table next to the mismatched chairs. It isn't what's on the surface that's bothering me. It's what's under. All the times he went off like that these past few months and leaving me behind. All the shorthand answers without any explanation. I want to know what he's hiding from me. No matter what I find, it wouldn't be the first time I found out something he'd would he'd withheld from me. Chapter 4, September 22nd, 1996. I thought that would never end, James says breathlessly. He opens the door to our place after getting back from the longest heist in a while. I wipe my hand across my forehead. I'll say, I reply, making my way over to our couch. The cushions are frayed and the seats are starting to sink in, but it's the first piece of furniture we got when we moved in. So it's overstaying its welcome for now. I start unlacing my shoes while James grabs us each a beer from the fridge. There will soon be another one to follow. We deserve it. Let's just say the last heist involved us having to stay absolutely still in an enclosed space for well over an hour, and that is just to get closer to the jewel. If it isn't the fact that we need the money desperately, I would tell James to end it. But like a lot of things in life, we are desperate for it. He comes over to the couch as I put my shoes on the floor. Without hesitating, he hands me my beer, and before I know it, I'm almost halfway done with it. He looks over at me as he drinks his beer, too. You can say that again, he says, while holding his beer up in a sort of salute. That's the thing about us. We're always on the same page that we don't even have to say anything to get our thoughts across. He sinks into the cushions and reaches for the remote to turn on the TV. He continues to sip his beer as I put mine down on the floor. Be right back, I tell him. I close the bathroom door and immediately run the sink. I can hear the television from here. Some person talking about people stealing from a city close to us. James likes to keep track of the news to make sure our tracks are covered. As I go to wash my hands, I almost strip on the open floorboard. The tiles are so old they're starting to discolor. James doesn't want to fix it, says it creates character. I say it creates an injury waiting to happen. I kneel down to try to put it back in a place, but notice something is stopping it from going down. Practically on the floor now, I go to lift it up more and see a slip of paper. Reaching in, I find it's more than that. It's money. A lot of it. I look back thinking it's a joke. Why else would there be a stack of bills hidden under a tile in our bathroom? I go to put it back and walk out as if nothing happened. James is on his second beer when I get back to the couch. He already has the other one there for me, but my stomach is uneasy. My hands start to sweat. He knows me so well. But as I look over at him, staring intently at the TV, his hand gripped on my thigh just above my dress, I realize the person near me is a stranger. Hey, why don't we take a little break from the heist? I ask him, sipping my drink, practically seeing the wheels turn in his head to try to come up with a decent excuse not to. He looks over me and pats my thigh with his hand. I don't think that's possible, Mav, he says, taking a big gulp. We could really use the money. I stiffen up, but he doesn't notice as he's already back watching the news. I try to relax, to brush off the lie he says straight to my face without hesitation. Of course, what was I thinking? I stifle a laugh, but even I know it sounds fake. James doesn't notice. He just looks over at me with his crooked smile. Chapter 5. Present Day I start searching. For money, secrets, clues, anything that can help me understand. I open the drawers, throw the couch cushions off and onto the floor. Our already small apartment looks like a tornado tore it to shreds. I know the one place to look for, under the bathroom tile, but end up empty-handed. The money is gone. The only question is where did it go? I think of all the places I never go into. I don't spend too much time in or have all the drawers I never open when nothing comes to mind. After searching for well over an hour and ending up in our bedroom, I look around at the mess and tilt my head back towards the ceiling. Shit, I'm never going to find anything, I sigh. I start to clean up my mess, trying to pick things up fast since James can be back any minute or any hour from now. It ranges. Plus, I don't want to have to explain to him about our clothes on the floor and why the house has been turned upside down. I may do some crazy things, but that didn't mean I have to fully commit to acting the part. 
I hang his jackets back up, making sure to pat down the wrinkles. He's particular about his appearance, always making sure his shirt is tucked in and not a thing out of place. I go to pick up the last one by the sleeves and a slip of paper folded comes out. The bent corners starting to form around it makes it hard to open to try to make it look like no one else is going to read it, and I'm failing at that. When it unfolds, it's no bigger than half a sheet of paper. In fact, it's just about the right size for an invitation. My eyes scan the words so fast I can barely get a full sentence. Mr. James Powell, we cordially invite you to celebrate with us the Biltmore's 75th anniversary, Friday, December 31st, 6 p.m., Biltmore Hotel. It's like time stops, or at least my mind. I can't form words. Nothing makes sense. Part of me wants to believe it's fake, that he made this so he can get in so one of us is in the clear. But we didn't go over this part of the plan. Nothing makes sense. I've never felt more left out of something before. I need answers, but I'm not so sure I'll get them. If he's capable of lying about this, what else has he been doing? Almost like clockwork, I hear the door close and footsteps approaching. Sorry for being so long, Mauve. Now let me help you get into that dress, he settles from down the hall. Um, just a second. I slip the invitation back in his jacket right before he gets to the door. His eyes bulge out in a bit at the sight of the room, and he runs his hands through his hair. Thought you said you were going to go with that black dress that shows off your curves, he says. I put my head down and start picking up the rest of my clothes in a hurry. I know, I know. I just, I went to go try it on, and it wasn't looking good, and now I'm overthinking about every single detail now because of it. I'm rambling and I can't stop. He puts his hands on my shoulders to stop me. Are you all right? You're not one to get nervous, he says. It's true. Normally, I'm the one trying to convince him to get out of the car before we go on our heist. I finally look up at him. Yeah, I'm fine. Nothing to worry about. I assure him as I give him a little smile. He takes the clothes out of my hands and puts them on the unmade bed. Okay, I believe you. He walks over to my dress, hanging on the corner of the stand-up mirror. Now let's get you into something more suitable for a fancy party, huh? Part of me wants to tell him, no, that I can't go through with any of this. That even as he helps me into my dress, I don't recognize this person in front of me. That same person who helped me escape jail time with everything we've done. That the man who is putting on his best suit and tie at this moment is no longer a familiar person. My stomach starts to turn and I haven't even eaten a single thing all day. He comes over to have me check that his tie is straight. He's always telling me I have a good eye for making sure everything is in its right place. I wonder if anything he tells me has been the truth or nothing but lies. As I smooth the tie into place, he tilts my chin up towards his face and lightly kisses my lips. Are you ready for our lives to change tonight, he asks, with that smile of his upturned around the corners, giving off his laugh lines on each side of his face. He says those are his least favorite features on him, but I love them. I swallow hard as I try to look at him. I am a you are. He kisses my forehead softly before grabbing our coats and the keys to the car as we make our way into the snowstorm. Chapter 6 The Biltmore is alive and decked out with festivities. With lights strung from the revolving glass door, it's like walking under stars. The velvet carpet stretches down the walkway with a giant tent covering the front entrance. Limo drivers stop just outside the walkway to let out the guests, making sure to shield them from the snow with an umbrella so their clothes and hair don't get messed up. Crowds of people line up along the street just to get a glance at everyone walking in. James and I are right with them, blending in. Our car is already parked in a nearby alleyway, as far away from the commotion as we can get. But with everything going on, our concern for getting caught is low. I look over at James, among the swarms of people ranging from young to old, dressed in coats so big their faces are almost unrecognizable. Women in jewelry so expensive I can only imagine the weight it carries. The men smoke cigars as they walk inside. A plume of smoke lingers down the entrance. James adjusts his tie for the tenth time. I haven't forgotten about what I found or the fact that he's wearing the jacket with the invitation inside it. I want to confront him about it, but there isn't a right time to. He never tells me where he goes when he has business to attend to. I'm left alone in the apartment for hours on end. Most times when it happens, I just sit with my thoughts and let him consume me, overthinking where he is and what he's doing, whether or not it's something dangerous or illegal if there would ever be a time when he didn't come back home. James stops playing with his tie and looks over at me. Have I mentioned how much you look like a movie star in that dress, he says. He brushes his fingers along the side of my face down to my chin. Thanks. You're not looking so bad yourself either, I say, pulling on his collar and inching my way towards him. Our lips meet and we kiss. As we break apart his lips covered in my deep plum lipstick and a wide grin, I can barely register a smile. 
I turned to face the crowd, traced my purse to find my lipstick and mirror, and reapplied slowly. This time he notices something is off. Apparently the magic number has to be more than a dozen times to get a guy to realize you're upset. You're right, Moth, he asks, as he places a hand on my shoulder. I shrug it off. I told you I'm fine, I say through gritted teeth. I search around my purse for a tissue to blot my lips, but he grabs my wrist. Why are you being like this, he asks. I try to pry my wrist out of his hold, but he has me good. Why should I bother telling you? It's not like I'll get an honest answer from you anyway, I tell him. His hold gets tighter. What the hell is that supposed to mean? It takes all I have to not want to go back to pretending his kiss means something and forget this is happening. I steady my breathing and finally let out what I've been holding back. I want to know about the business you have to do all the damn time, I say. He lets go of my hand and rubs his hand on his forehead. It's not that simple, Moth, he sighs. I look directly into his eyes. Yes, it is. Because you either tell me or I'm leaving you right here, right now. A few people in front of us turn their heads slightly. I didn't know where to go or how to... I didn't know where to go or how to manage, but getting away is better than staying. He tilts his head down, unable to look at me when he speaks. I can't tell you, Mauve. I'm sorry, I just can't, he says quietly. This is it. It's all I needed to hear. Another pathetic lie to cover something of his up. I'm done with his secrets. I need to leave. My mind knows, but my heart is still processing. If you can't tell me, then I can't do this anymore, I say. He slowly comes back up and bravely reaches his hand out towards my face. I'm sorry, he whispers while stroking my cheek. I try to keep it together, to not give him that satisfaction of hurting me, but the tears just gave my eyes before I had the chance to stop them. Screw you, James, I tell him, and make my way towards the hotel into the frigid night. I don't know his plan, but one thing I know for sure is he, he isn't going to stop me from getting that diamond. Chapter 7 I'm not afraid anymore of losing him or doing this alone. I spent a lot of time before I met him alone. I put my black cat-eye sunglasses on as I adjust my trench coat and scarf, making sure my bun is in its place. He always said my hair was a distraction, easy to point out, and make my way to the entrance almost too easily. Past a big crowd of people making their way into the party, they look so chic, their dresses sewn to perfection, necklaces placed delicately around their necks. It looks like I shop at Goodwill. I feel a hand on my shoulder just as I'm about to walk through the revolving glass doors. Invitation, please, he says briskly. He isn't playing around. So I do what any person does in that situation. Oh my goodness, I say, putting my hand to my face. I'm so sorry. I must have forgotten my invitation in the limo. As I dig through my purse, I'm practically on the ground retracing my steps, but there's nothing a man hates more than a woman taking up someone's time. He looks at the other guy guarding the doors and nods his head. Just go in, miss, he says flatly. I look back up at him as I get off the floor, patting my dress down. Are you sure? I can get back to I can go back to get it. I don't think my driver went too far, I offer. They motion for me to enter and I go, still trying to look as upset as a thin smile makes its way across my face. I make my way into the hotel. The lobby is full of decorations of all kinds. Wreaths over the staircases leading to the floors. A big Christmas tree with lights and ornaments strung throughout ring right in the center of the lobby. It almost reaches a ceiling. After traveling down the long hallway, I come across the ballroom door. Just looking into the party itself is intimidating. Groups of people gather around the middle of the ballroom chatting, some taking their seats at nearby tables decorated with the finest silverware and candles as the centerpiece. An endless amount of tables stretch throughout the middle of the ballroom. Right in front of them is a stage with a jazz band playing. Waiters in suits and bow ties walk around with the most expensive champagne and hors d'oeuvres. The men chat around one another with a whiskey in one hand and a cigar in the other. The women saunter around in groups while sizing up one another to see who looks the best. When there's no one in sight at the door or around it, I open it up and snake my way through. I walk over to the bar in the back of the place, hoping a drink can settle me down. The bartender is finishing up pouring drinks for a couple, so I wait at the end until he saunters over and gives me an unnecessarily toothy grin. What can I get for you tonight, sweetheart? He asks. His breath's a bit on the alcoholic side. I don't know how drinking on the job is acceptable. Old-fashioned, I say, and look out towards the party. I survey the room, looking for only one thing, the Oppenheimer blue diamond. He comes back over and hands me my drink. I'll meet you back here before midnight, he says, giving me a wink. I walk through a sea of people so he can't catch up with me. It's hard to walk around with everyone staying in one place and forgetting what manners are when someone politely asks them to move. I try my best to move in and out of people's ways. 
It's when I'm up against a big and burly man with a handlebar mustache that I face a challenge. I try to squeeze myself around him as best as I can, but I end up getting too close, and before I know it, he grabs hold of me with his meaty hands. Hey, watch where you're going, he yells. His face so close to mine gives me a headache from his three bourbons and already breath. I decide to play the part of the innocent ditzy girl to get myself out of this mess. I'm so sorry, sir. I put my hand on his shoulder. I don't know what came over me, I say. I bat my eyes at him. Right on cue, he relinquishes, he relinquishes his hold on me and lets me go. Don't worry about it. Just be more careful. A delicate woman like you could get hurt, he says. I nod and give him a quick smile between turning, before turning away to roll my eyes as far as they can go without getting stuck there. Time goes by faster the closer I get to the diamond. The big clock on the wall reads 10.47 p.m. There's still enough time, but I need to focus. My old fashion is stronger than I think. With one last gulp, my eyes start dancing throughout the room. Blurs of silk gowns and shiny hair swirling around my face. I need to sit down if I'm going to make it out alive. I find a table a few feet away from me and sit down. The only people there are two gentlemen across from me with black suits and a half-smoked cigar sitting in the ashtray. They appear to be in deep conversation since they haven't noticed me sitting down to join them. I'm telling you, he's going to come. He wouldn't miss us, black suit number one says. Are you sure you gave him the invitation? Black suit number two asks them. The other guy hits his hand on the table. Of course I did. What do you take me for, an idiot? He asks him. He drowns what's left of his drink. The other guy speaks up. No, I just want to make sure our plan will work out and we finally get the son of a bitch will answer for all, he says. He takes his cigar out of the ashtray and that's what's and what's left of it. A cloud of smoke covers his face. It lingers towards me as I try not to gag from the smell. You would think the last time we did something to get him caught would have tipped him off, but he's too dumb to realize it, he says. That gets them both laughing. Now they have me invested. I'm curious to know who this person is. The men continue to talk. All I'm saying is, if he comes here tonight, he's going to get what he deserves, Black Street Number 1 says. Everything's all set. We're ready for you, James Paul, wherever the hell you are, Number 2 says. That's when my eyes widen, and I almost fall out of my chair. How do these people know him, and what are they planning on doing? Both of them motion for one of the waiters to come over as they give him their empty jaws in exchange for more. As a group of people come stumbling by, I take my chance to get up and run away as fast as I can. But my dress catches to the bottom of the chair and sends me tumbling down. I try to pick myself up by ripping the hem of my dress from under the chair until I see a hand outstretched waiting for me to grab it. It's from suit number two. You okay there, ma'am? He asks. A concerned look on his face is much different from the brisk conversation I just eavesdropped on. I grab his hand and let him help me up. Yeah, my dress is caught in the air and I'm going blank with my words, unable to conform to form a coherent sentence. Because when I look back at the man in the suit, I see the same familiar scar running down the side of his face. The same person who confronted James in the first place we met. They are out for blood. He looks at me and nods. Will you enjoy the rest of your night, miss, he says, and walks over to the other guy. He whispers something in his ear and then looks back over at me. Before they can come back over, I make my way through the crowded floor. I manage to find the bathroom, go to the first open stall I can find, and lock myself in. My mind races with so many thoughts. Is this the business he can't tell me? Does he know what he's getting himself into? Does he not want to bring me into it because he knows I can get hurt? What are they going to do to him? As I go to make my way out of the bathroom, a group of women comes in, standing in front of the mirror, adjusting their pearls and diamond earrings, reapplying their lipsticks, and wiping out the smudges on their teeth, half-empty glasses in one hand, just waiting to get another refill. As I make my way through, I glance at the clock, 11.17 p.m. The time is running out for the both of us, it seems. Part of me wants to help James, to not let him get hurt. After all the times he helped me escape prison, it's the least I can do for the scumbag. But what he did is unacceptable. To go by behind my back is unforgivable. So I set out to finish my plan. I move towards the middle of the floor again to get to the diamond, but stop in place when I see him. James enters, looking barely sober and hanging on. My eyes shift to the two men, but they moved from their table. Nowhere to be found. The big clock reads 11.43 p.m. There's still time to get the diamond. I attempt to make my way towards the case. The whole festivity becomes a blur to me. Waiters pass out long flutes of champagne. Clouds of cigar smoke take up the what little air I can breathe. Everyone around me is immersed in conversations of pure laughter. The men decide on which business plan can make them rich enough to buy their mistress and another expensive piece of jewelry for them to put on for them. Party goer grow friendlier when it comes to trying to move them out of the way to get around. I'm inches away from getting the diamond. Before I know it, a shatter overlooks me and blocks my path. Can we talk? James asks. 
I try everything not to laugh in his face or hit him. I go to push him out of the way. I have nothing to say to you. He tries to grab my hand, but I get by him and almost out of earshot. Mauve, I can explain, please. The pleading in his voice almost breaks me. I never hear him like that. I keep my back towards him and deliver my last words to him. I'm done with you, I say. The big clock inches towards midnight. People start gathering towards the front of the stage, awaiting the countdown, already going into the next year drunk and out of their minds. Ten, nine, eight, they cheer. I smash the case. Seven, six, I hear a gunshot, screams engulf the party. Five, four, the sound is getting closer. I look back with a jewel now in my hands to see James on the ground wounded. My heart is stupid enough to run back into the chaos. Three, two, everyone is running in every direction. I go to James and see the same man at the table, the one with the scar aims his gun at me. One, the clock strikes midnight. Mauve, James screams with what little energy he can get out of him. He tries to reach out to me but all I hear is noise, then nothing. And that is where I'm going to end off on this part of the story. Um, Yeah, this is really fun. I'm excited to see how this goes. So I hope you guys have a great rest of your week, whenever that is. And if you want to hear what happens next in the story, you'll just have to tune in next week. Bye, you guys.